0: Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. Stick Together is produced on the lands of the Wurundjeri and Bunurong people of the Kulin Nation. The program recognises that sovereignty was never ceded and that the nation of Australia was built and exists on stolen land, land that always was, and always will be, Aboriginal land. We stand in solidarity with all those resisting the settler colonial state. G'day again, my name's Jackson McInerney and you are listening to Stick Together, a program dedicated to union news, workers' stories and social justice. Stick Together is produced in the Melbourne studios of 3CR Radio and broadcast across the country on the community radio network. The program is financially supported by the Community Broadcasting Foundation and we thank them for their ongoing assistance. On today's program, we will take a closer look at the global trial of the four-day working week Unions have been interested in capping the hours required to take a living wage home since the boss first hung a clock in plain sight. Yet with this global trial being largely directed by some of the world's largest corporations, can we trust it is in workers' interests? Could this finally represent a delivery of the long overdue technology dividend? For decades we've seen cloud computing, social media and automation create skyrocketing profit and proliferate profligate billionaires across the world? How have these new benefits been delivered to workers and will a four-day working week help balance that equation? First up on Sticks Together though, some union news. Unwaged workers in the critical sector of direct environmental activism are feeling the full force of draconian new legislation in New South Wales this week. Rolling direct actions targeting normal operations of roads and bridges in Sydney has seen scores of activists already arrested. The new laws, rushed through Parliament in April this year, can now see protesters fined up to $22,000 and jailed for up to two years for protesting without permission on public roads, rail lines, tunnels, bridges and industrial estates. After successful actions in Newcastle in March 2022, and November 2021, Blockade Australia is leading the Disruptive Actions Plan for Sydney at the end of June and start of July. With the protests drawing a huge police response, Blockade Australia said on Twitter, vicious arrests, ridiculous charges, and obscene bail conditions won't change our resolve. The stakes are high, and the survival of humanity and all species on this earth depends on our resistance. We will continue to blockade Australia. The new laws have been criticised by groups including the Greens, Human Rights Watch, Amnesty International and the Aboriginal Legal Service. Climate protesters are being increasingly and disproportionately subjected to vindictive legal action by Australian authorities that is restricting the rights to freedom of peaceful assembly and expression, said Sophie McNeil, Australia researcher at Human Rights Watch. She went on, Magistrates in New South Wales have been imposing harsh penalties and bail conditions on climate protesters that violate basic human rights. Concerningly, Blockade Australia was already targeted for suppression by police before the Sydney protest got underway. Police were secretly surveilling the group's base of operations in bushland northwest of Sydney on Sunday, June 19th. The legality of that surveillance is still before the courts but mainstream media reported police officers were assaulted and feared for their lives. Independent journalist Tom Tanuki interviewed two of Blockade Australia's spokespeople, Quinn and Ziana, in the aftermath of the raid. Thanks to Tom for this audio, and this is the voice of Ziana.
1: Around 40 of us um, had a place in the bush where meetings were happening and we were hanging, making food. It was the early morning and we were all gathered um, having a morning meeting when someone spotted some camo people, unmarked, lying next to a log. Around 8.30 in the morning, everyone's just having some coffee, waking up.
2: Yeah, you're Um, having breakfast. Yeah, then someone spots
1: a movement, movement in the bush. Some crew walked up, up quite a steep slope to see the people in camo, and they laid really stiff like a log, pretending that they couldn't be seen for quite a long time, until one tapped them on a shoulder um, then they kind of pushed the hand off and and spoke into their microphone. We've been compromised.
2: So you started asking them who they were?
1: Yeah, we were trying to figure out who these people were. We weren't sure if they were like, you know, local right wingers. People had found us, if there was security. Um, they definitely didn't look like cops. They could be army officials. So we just started asking who they were and they weren't replying. Then we saw this really flash black unmarked car speed fast down the driveway and kind of bounce over the embankment um, into the paddock and the camoed people they started to come down the hill and try to get taken away um, in that car that vehicle then quickly got the camo people in and kind of sped forward hitting some people that were confused on the road um once they kind of knocked some people, um, a bit of a ring formed, just to try and hold them in spot and just figure out who exactly they were.
2: Mm, yeah.
0: Yeah, for, for people just trying to, you know, um, in, in quite a friendly way, albeit quite confused, um, trying to like, you know, tap them on the shoulder and figure out who they were. Um, you know, people are now being hit with
1: assault police charges for, for those, you know, officers who didn't bother to identify themselves.
0: That was the voice of Quinn from Blockade Australia. And he and Ziana go on to explain, to Tom, that not knowing who these camouflage surveillance persons were, they did let down the tyres of the black SUV. No tyres were slashed, as was widely reported. After the camouflage men finally explained they were cops from the newly formed Strike Force Guard, the climate activists offered to fix the tyres with an air compressor. Despite this, later the same day, police launched a full raid of the property, and charged activists with serious offences, including a fray and conspiracy to commit a crime. This is Blockade Australia organiser Zelda, describing police behaviour during the raid. The audio is from Channel 10's The Project.
1: Police went around and smashed the windows of every single car on the property, even cars that were unlocked, even cars they had the keys to. Every positive change for human rights and earth rights that we've achieved in the last century has been through civil disobedience.
0: Activists have reported continued and intense surveillance from police, including further raids on other camps and households, since the raids on Sunday 19th June. One person arrested was Nagemba Elder, Carolyn Kirk. This audio is courtesy of Blockade Australia.
3: Um, They've just come in and raided us again, um, unannounced. Um, We've seen them coming over the hill and we tried to scream. I had no voice. I had no whistle. I had nothing. Um, They've got me up now for um, intimidation. They're going to take me in. So please, people, help us. Put money in for our courts and our things, um, just know that I love you all, I'm First Nations, I'm an elder here, all I was doing was standing here teaching my old culture and bringing things out, I wasn't doing nothing else, I can't run, I can't climb, all I do is I stand on the ground and I teach my culture, I'm an elder. Where do I have to go and get a right to go and sit at a, at a barbecue and talk culture? Why are they doing this to us? Why, you took everything from us and now you still want to take, now you want to take us elders again. That's not right. Stop taking from the land. Look at our, cult, our climate. You know, you need to breathe, the trees to breathe. That's what makes oxygen for you to breathe. You need the water to run free. That's how you got water is life. What's wrong with you, bollocks? What do you want to take from? You just have to start leaving, not taking. Please help us. Look for blockade. Come Monday. Come Monday and show these people the week. They can't stop us. We have to fight the system. The fraudulent system. This ain't real. They're just scamming. What's wrong with them? Don't they want their kids to see what's going? Don't they want their their future grandkids to see?
0: Anyone can join the work of protesters in Sydney. Details can be found on Blockade Australia's website. Tom's full report on these raids can be found on YouTube. Search for Tom Tanuki, T-A-N-U-K-I. While the newly minted federal Labor government wasted no time in legislating a 5.2% increase to the national minimum wage, inflationary pressures are seeing many workers' wages go backwards. For those that receive the raise, it works out at around $40 per week. To put that in perspective, and in the context of soaring prices, $40 a week could get a single serve of lamb or beef for a family of four, or less than half a tank of unleaded petrol in a family-sized car. On top of predicting further increases in interest rates, and therefore mortgage repayments, and critically rent, the RBA this week called for a 3.5% cap on wages across the country. With inflation currently at 5.2, and even higher for essential goods like food, petrol, housing and healthcare, this cap would effectively mean a pay cut for hundreds of thousands of Australian workers. Unions across the country are rejecting the call for workers' austerity by the RBA, with a spike in rhetoric and strikes noticeable in every state. In the ACT and New South Wales, public and independent teachers are striking together on Thursday, June 30th. In a very familiar cry, their concerns are wages stuck below inflation and workplaces that are crippled by a national teacher shortage. This is Angelo Gavrilados, the President of the New South Wales Teachers Federation.
2: For the first time in more than 25 years, all public school teachers and principals and Catholic systemic school teachers will strike to deliver a very clear message to this government, which is failing students and the teaching profession. A 3% increase is an insult. It doesn't even deal with inflation. When our issues go beyond inflation, they go to changing the policy settings in order to ensure the teaching profession is attractive.
0: In Western Australia, where inflation is at 7.6%, the CPSU is demanding the McGowan government up its offer of a 2.5% increase to public sector workers, citing the increase in the minimum wage as evidence of this unjust disparity. In Newcastle, bus drivers working for private company Keolis Downer had a 24-hour stop work action on Monday, June 20th, in support of a 7.5% pay rise for drivers. This follows a similar strike action by Sydney drivers in April this year. Tram and Bus Division President of the RTBU New South Wales, Daniel Jaggers, said inconvenience in the community is a last resort. We find ourselves back at square one when it comes to negotiating the enterprise agreement with Keolis Downer. A seven percent increase over two years to help offset cost of living pressures is a fair ask from drivers who just want to earn a decent living wage. All of this could be avoided if Keolis Downer would budge from the original insufficient offer made to drivers, which would see their wages go backwards, said Jaggers. The private operator's solution was to then tell members they could earn more if they worked more. What an insult. We've said it before, and we'll say it again. If Keolis Downer says it can only pay what the government provides, then Transport Minister David Elliott needs to readjust the government contracts with private operators and stop punishing drivers for their privatisation bungle. You're listening to Stick Together on the Community Radio Network. Workers' Stories, Union News, and Social Justice. A large trial of a reduced working week kicked off in the UK in June this year, with 70 companies and 3,300 workers moving from a five day working week to a four day working week with no loss of pay. The trial is organised and promoted by not-for-profit organisation 4-Day Week Global. 4-Day Week Global was founded by New Zealand-based entrepreneur Andrew Barnes and is managed by he and his partner Charlotte Lockhart. Barnes trialled the idea on his own company, New Zealand's financial services giant Perpetual Guardian, in 2018, allowing all workers to take an extra day off each week for a year without any loss in pay or benefits. Four-Day Week Global is touting the new UK trial as the largest ever, with companies in industries including education, consultancy, banking, housing, retail, hospitality, communications and electronic gaming all participating. Trials in Australia are set to commence in August this year. Despite the rhetoric Of 4 day week global. The idea of a shorter working week for a living wage is not new. Spain was the first country to legislate maximum hours for factory workers in 1593. Today, German workers have some of the world's lowest weekly hours worked, averaging 34.2 hours while maintaining relatively high productivity. In Iceland, 2,500 workers successfully trialled a reduced working week in 2015. Today, more than 90% of Icelanders work less than 35 hours per week. In the USA, Democratic Representative from California Mark Ticano introduced a bill this year to standardise the working week at 32 hours. And across the Bass Strait, Jacinda Ardern has suggested four-day weeks could boost domestic tourism and propel recovery from COVID in New Zealand. Here in Australia, of course, the Melbourne Stonemason Strike of April 21st, 1856, demanded eight hours work as a daily maximum. At the time, workers, including children, typically worked from dawn till dusk, six days a week. Keys to the demand for reduced working hours was the idea that workers needed more time for their own education and personal growth as well as time to fulfill the other roles their lives demanded, that of partner, parent, carer, and member of a community. Interestingly, this idea of work-life balance remains a cornerstone of arguments for reduced hours in modern times. Have a listen to this recruitment advertisement targeting international IT workers to move to Germany for a 30-hour workweek.
4: Is working 30 hours a week the perfect work-life balance for you? Then go to 30 for Future and find tech and IT jobs in Germany. Find progressive companies who trust you to get your work done in 30 hours and appreciate you as a full-time employee for a more balanced life with more creativity and productivity so you can have a three-day weekend or just work from 9am to 3pm and spend the rest of the day doing the things you love. Sound good? Then go to 30forfuture.de and sign up for the weekly newsletter, 30 for Future, connecting progressive companies with elite employees. Ah, uh, still here? Then we would like to share five more facts with you. One, Microsoft Japan tested the four-day workweek and productivity increased by 40%. Two. The psychologist Kay Erikson discovered that many experts can only achieve four to five hours of highly focused cognitive work daily. Three. A New Zealand study suggested that a 30-hour work week reduces stress level by 27% and increases work-life balance by 45%. Four. The 40-hour work week has existed in Germany for more than 50 years, and despite all the technological advancements, we still don't work less. Five. As our problems with climate change, right-wing populism, trust in institutions and fake news increase around the world, we at 30 for Future are determined to create a positive change in society. We do this by giving time back to you, for you to create more value and meaning in your life or in the world as a whole. So let's create a societal change together and make 30 Hours the new full time. 30 for Future. Connecting progressive companies with elite employees. The end, or the beginning of something new.
0: While this all sounds wonderfully utopian, I can't help but notice the repetitious use of the phrase elite employees in that particular ad. It is important to note that the 8-hour day and 40-hour week victory of the Melbourne Stonemasons in 1856 took a further 92 years of fighting from committed unionists for those rights to be enjoyed by all workers on this continent. In truth, there are still many Australian workers who go without those rights. In recent comments to the program, Godfrey Most was keen to point out that the four-day week global trials will go nowhere without the support and involvement of trade unions. Any mention of unions is conspicuously absent from four-day-week global materials online. Plus, listen to these comments from co-founder Charlotte Lockhart. Audio courtesy of Euronews.
2: Well, the idea of a shorter working week is something that Charlotte Lockhart has been campaigning for for a while. She's CEO of four-day-week global. And she joins me now live from Auckland in New Zealand. Thanks very much for joining us on Good Morning Uh, Europe. Now, we've heard this uh, call from your Prime Minister for employers to consider uh, a four-day working week, but in this COVID-19 era, um, amidst an economic slump, is that really a good idea?
1: It's a good idea now more than ever. One of the things that we're finding as we talk to businesses around the world is that they're still needing to be innovative and that but the focus on productivity is more important than ever.
2: And can you explain why productivity would be better if uh, we work fewer days in the week?
1: So human nature is that we can't work fully on for f- 37 or 40 hours a week. And I know in France, there was a shorter working week that was instituted but the important thing to understand with what we advocate for is that if you encourage your staff to find those uh, those gaps in their day and then get rid of them so they can have time off, you find that your company will get in a minimum of 20% more product, more productive.
0: Four Day Week Global co-founder Andrew Barnes expands on this in his own presentations, revealing an obsession for productivity at the cost of really any other form of gain. Here he is at TEDx Auckland in 2019. Anyway, I'm on this plane and I'm
2: reading an Economist article that says that the Brits are only productive for two and a half hours a day. There some Can- any Canadians here? Yeah, a few at the back. They're only productive for one and a half hours a day. Now, that got me thinking, why, and does that apply to my business? So let's think about your working day. You go into the office, you have a cup of coffee, you have a chat, you do some emails, a little bit of social media, get down to do some work. And then somebody taps you on the shoulder and says, can you help me with this? I love this. If somebody keeps disturbing you at work, it's the equivalent of a 10-point drop in your IQ, or you operating under the influence of marijuana. (laughs) So, you then get back to work, you have a bit more coffee, a bit more emails, you then take the call from that elusive plumber you've been chasing all week. More calls, crisis with the kids. Bit more calls, bit more work, bit more emails. Now, think about this. this is happening on your boss's time. My time. So I thought, what if I gave my staff a day off a week in return for them delivering the same amount of productivity over four days? Because if you think about it, if you are only productive for two and a half hours a day, you only have to get another 45 minutes in each of those four days. Uh, Canadians at the back, of course, only need to do 18 minutes
0: a day. The ideas that underpinned the workers' fight for eight hours work, eight hours rest, and eight hours recreation, were not to stop using up the boss's time on things like talking to co-workers, helping co-workers, or drinking coffee before the real work began. It was about recreation, about developing the self into a thinking, conscious citizen who could do more than exchange their labour for capital. These realized workers could literally reshape the world for the better. Here is Godfrey Mose, Director of the United Workers Union, on this very program in 2016. Godfrey is an exponent of the Fight for 30 movement, arguing for 30 hours to constitute a full-time, full-wage job. But rather than an obsessive focus on productivity gains, Godfrey suggests that additional leisure time could mean a social revolution.
5: I'm a unionist, not because I um, just want everybody to spend all their lives in in work in wage labour. More specifically, I want to see people being able to work outside of wage labour. I want to see people being able to make more specifically a living. Uh, without having to prostrate themselves in front of the boss. Um, The universal basic income and the fight for a shorter working week, the fight for a 30-hour week, are connected insofar as a movement to shift us away from just being engaged in wage labour to shift our civilisation, our society, to beyond wage labour to more cooperative forms of working relationships that we have with each other. I personally believe that one day we're going to look back on wage labour and look at it in the same way that we look at slavery, that it's just another form of um, economic relationship based on hierarchy and based on domination. And we deserve better. We deserve to have real freedom in our lives. The universal basic income and the 30-hour week are connected in that regard. 160 years ago, on April 21st, we had stonemasons walking off the job in Melbourne for an eight-hour day. That would have seemed pretty utopian 160 years ago. Look at all the massive improvements we've had in productivity what we've got coming in terms of robotics, automation, 3D printers, um, algorithms uh, with computers, all of that. Surely we can all live secure, modestly prosperous lives working a 30-hour week and everyone having a minimum basic income because we have put the wealth of our society into the commons and out of the hands of the few, out of the hands of big global multinationals like Chevron. That's how they're connected. Universal basic income, shorter working hours, they're all part of a movement to create a new civilization, to create a decent, prosperous future for all of us, where we can give to our children and our great-grandchildren the gift of reaching their full potential, their full development as human beings because they're not blighted by the need to work a job that they dread every morning, that they don't want to go to, that doesn't develop their talents, that um, infantilizes them, treats them like kids, we have that opportunity to pass that on and I think we need to fight for that so that we can create a new, better future for all of us.
0: Thanks so much for listening to another episode of Stick Together. I'm Jackson McInerney, and it's great to be back. Looking forward to your company next time. And remember, whatever you do, wherever you are, there's a union for you. Stick Together.